a long time ago on a spinner rack far, far away. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 46, Man from Atlantis, Issue 2, March 1978. Hello and welcome to the Comic Book Time Machine, fellow time travelers. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and this is the Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. And this is a show where we are walking through, month by month, the releases of Marvel's sci-fi and fantasy licensed comic books. And we are in now, we are, well, we're looking at cover date of March 1978, but that means we are going back to December of 1977 to see what is on the spinner rack there. And what are we finding? Well, one of the things we have found is Man from Atlantis, issue number two. So I'm holding Man from Atlantis, issue number two, in my hand right now, and I am looking at the cover, and the cover tells me all new from the sensational NBC television super series, Man from Atlantis. And then it says, Mark once more challenges the might of Mr. Schubert, the Bermuda Triangle Trap. And the cover actually has a good design. Um, You have the man from Atlantis who's wearing his Speedo, and he is bursting up through the bottom of, I would assume, some sort of base or some sort of ship. Just from looking at the cover, you don't know. Although when you finally get inside the book, you, you'll find out pretty easily. But uh, he's bursting up through a hole in the floor that there's water. And so this is obviously setting in the water or it is on the water. But he's bursting up. Water is splashing from him. And you can see one of his hands, his fingers are splayed. So you can see that he has webbed fingers. Meanwhile, there is a woman bound on her knees in front of a man who is wearing a, you know, a sailor suit. He's wearing that, what do you call that, uh, kind of coat. Uh, I think they call it a, a pea coat or a, a pea jacket, but uh, it's a sailor thing, you know, and he's pointing at Mark. And then you have behind him three or four, no, four men with, with guns who are pointing their guns at Mark. All eyes are on Mark. In the foreground, uh, between us and the action, there are actually four more guys with uh, guns holding them. We can only see their hands and the guns themselves, but those guns, again, pointed at Mark. I, I like it because you have all these things. The only thing not pointing at Mark, or the only person, I should say, not pointing at Mark, is um, the Doctor uh, Doctor Elizabeth. And that's because she is... You know, her hands are tied behind her back, and maybe if her hands weren't tied behind her back, she would be pointing at him. But probably if her hands weren't tied behind her back, she'd be trying to run away. So uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. But everything 
except for her, is pointing at him. I like the composition. Um, the water and the way it's dripping from his body as he's rising up from below, not not the greatest uh, use of you know water splash, but uh, it looks kind of ridiculous. There's kind of it's kind of like there's a waterfall. Uh, he, like he's wearing a waterfall for a cape. Let's put it that way. And so it's not that's that's the one problem I'd have with this cover. If they would have you know pulled back a little bit on the water, that might be a colorist problem rather than an art problem. I could see this as just artwork looking like it's meant to be just drips, but. Anyway, uh, it looks like an exciting cover. It looks like he is bursting into the scene of a, a James Bond uh, film. You know, it's like he's shown up. There's the Bond villain. There's the Bond girl. And there's all the Bond villains uh, lackeys. And he's like, wait, uh, you know, sorry. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and take care of things here for uh, Mr. Bond because he couldn't get here quick enough because I can breathe underwater and he's still outside, you know, trying to get in something like that. I mean, this, this looks like it belongs to that kind of a story. And so the question is, well, is it that kind of a story? And the answer is yes, 100%. Uh, in fact, some of this really feels like it was, uh, stolen, ripped off from the, I think the spy who loved me is the one, uh, cause we'll get into the story here. We find out, that uh, they're calling in Mark Harris, who is the man from Atlantis. And it's a, a, an admiral from the Navy who is calling him in because they were doing some not-so-routine maneuvers. And they then had footage from some planes that were flying overhead where the ships are going along. This cloud of mist comes over the ships. And when the ships come out, every one of the ships are gone. And it just feels like a Bond plot, you know, where there's this mystery. What happened? Why did it happen? How did it happen? And they're asking for Mark to help them out. And Dr. Elizabeth uh, Merrill is her name. She is part of the team that's going to go and investigate and see what's going on. And there's some neat stuff here, though, where they, when they're going to investigate, they actually put a, a skin diving suit on Mark Harris uh, because he's still top secret. Nobody knows about him or very few people know about him. He's top secret. And so the people that he's actually going to be diving with, they don't know his secret. Now I think it would have been more interesting if they had kept him in the skin dive suit. Uh, and so that when he's swimming around, he's actually using his, you know, powers to be able to swim. Uh, cause they even set it up where this is like an experimental suit where you could almost make it so that, yeah, it's the suit that lets him swim around like that. And instead, as soon as they get underwater, he's with those two other guys and he's he takes off the suit and he just starts swimming around and they're like, what? what's going on? And they're, oh, well, he's not quite human. So he's going to find out what's going on. And we find out that there's another mist cloud coming and it engulfs him, it knocks him out and he wakes up on another ship. And the ship belongs to Mr. Schubert. Now, I don't know who Mr. Schubert is. But we're supposed to know who Mr. Schubert is. And this is a problem, one problem with this comic series, for me anyway. I'm just not familiar with the character. And I'm okay with that. I mean, I last issue with Man from Atlantis, I was intrigued enough that I want to find this and and see it and watch it. I'm going to have to find it on eBay or something for cheaper than they're they're selling it for. Because for me to buy the series, you get four television movies, you get 13 episodes, and you're looking at 50 bucks there just to do what amounts to about 
20 episodes of a show. I, I don't like that kind of a, a price for something like that. And so I'm, I'm waiting. I'm biding my time. Uh, in the meantime, Mr. Schubert apparently was in the pilot episode, the pilot movie for Man from Atlantis. And he's that first villain. And he does show up, I think, in some other episodes of the, the show. That's what they imply anyway, that he is a, a recurring villain on Man from Atlantis. But, you know, I mean, we don't we haven't seen him yet. You know, we didn't see him in that first issue. And so he doesn't get a proper introduction. I don't really know what he's about. You know, they kind of give a little bit in, of back and forth that kind of implies that. But I feel like I, I need more. If I'm just picking this up off the newsstand and they're using this as a comic book, it is basically a promotional item for the TV show. You'll buy the comic. You'll read the comic. You'll be interested. You'll want to see more. It, it works for me. I mean... Over 30 years later, over 30 years, almost 30 years later, no, almost 40 years later, <laughs> you know, time travel is hard. Can we, can we just establish that right now? Okay. I just got back, you know? So anyway, it almost 40 years later, I'm reading the comic and I'm intrigued enough from last issue to want to read more. If this had been my first issue and I wasn't doing a series where I'm going to read all of them anyway, I don't know how intrigued I would have been because I just don't know anything about this character. Uh, now, it does end on a cliffhanger because what happens is when they they reveal who the villain is and then they put this thing on his wrist and he looks around and realizes all the sailors who are working on this ship for Mr. Schubert have these kind of mechanical bracelets on their wrist and it's causing them to be under mind control. Mark, the mind control doesn't work on him. And so he turns around and realizes that Dr. Elizabeth Merrill, she has also been captured. She is under mind control and nice little twist. I like it. I like it a lot. She's actually working for Mr. Schubert. In fact, not only is she working for Mr. Schubert, when Mark goes on the attack, she's the one who's brought in to deliver the knockout blow against him to stop him from stopping Mr. Schubert. She shoots Mark in the back with a, some kind of stun gun. And when he wakes up, we find out that he is strapped to a table because since he cannot be put under mind control, he's of no use to Mr. Schubert. No use at all, except for as a lab experiment. They're going to open them up. They're going to find out what makes them tick. And then they can use that to augment people in Mr. Schubert's grand new world. And what is Mr. Schubert's grand new world? Well, his grand new world, his brave new world, we might as well just go there. His brave new world is something he's going to create by causing lots and lots of natural disasters it's going to kill people off and destroy crops and stuff like that. And then he is going to be in control of the world's cheapest food supply, plankton, under the sea. Something that we don't eat, but that we could. And so I find myself reading this. The cliffhanger is interesting enough. I do want to know what's going to happen next. I know he's not going to get you know, cut up and vivisected or dissected or whatever. I know that's not going to happen, but I am curious, you know, how is he going to get out of this? Is Elizabeth just going to, you know, shake away the, the mind control or who, who knows? But 
I, I'm reading this and part of me is just kind of, oh, it's, well, it's not the greatest. But then part of me starts looking at it and realizing I'm reading a nice uh, ripoff or pastiche of uh, James Bond film. Um, actually, I'm, I'm not just being reminded of The Spy Who Loved Me, where they have the boat that comes and swallows other boats and takes away the nuclear weapons or whatever. But I'm also reminded of On Her Majesty's Secret Service, the one with the, the one-off Bond uh, I can't remember his name who played Bond in that that movie, but um, where the villain is going to, you know, destroy crops and, you know, that's that's his plan. And, and I'm reminded of that kind of thing here where he's going to cause natural disasters, but then tied into the natural disaster thing. I'm reminded of uh, fears that would have been of the time, the late 70s of natural disasters of you know the early inklings of is the earth you know are we are we destroying the earth you know the environmentalism um now he's going to kind of cause the already things that are already maybe happening you know with earthquakes and stuff like that well he's going to turn around and he's going to make things worse so the stuff that's happening naturally and maybe the stuff that's happening by human hands well he's going to stick his hand in and make it much much worse and and then there's also this fear of food shortages and those kind of things where, you know, you have a, a drought and what do you do and what are you left with? And plankton was one of those possible solutions for a food shortage. It was something that could be harvested. It was something that wasn't being used. And it was just one of those possible solutions. And so I appreciate, I, I do appreciate the storytelling elements that are going into this. Uh, there's some creativity on one hand, but on the other hand, there's, you know, it just seems to be taking away elements from, from other things. Now I should say, you know, I'm appreciating the story. Well, who wrote the story? It's Bill Mantlo who wrote the story. And I, I am a fan of Bill Mantlo. I love some of his work. So, so much. Some of his work feels more, I don't know, workmanlike maybe, um, like, like this, where you have this story that, has these kind of energetic elements, but they're energetic elements that feel like they come from, from somewhere else. It doesn't feel like he's phoning it in, but it also, like I said, I feel like I'm looking at a James Bond story that I've already seen, not just a James Bond style of story. I mean, right down to that maniacal villain of, of Schubert and his base and his, you know, some of it though, I mean, let's just face it. A lot of those James Bond movie elements really are kind of comic book villain elements. The artist is Frank Robbins, and Frank Springer is the inker. Tom Wozniakowski is the letterer. Janice Cohen did the colors, and then Archie Goodwin was the editor. And I guess the, my other problem that kind of causes me to be a little ambivalent about this issue, uh, you know, there, uh, there's parts that I like, there's parts that I don't, but the artwork... It just there's some weird anatomy in here, and the way that um, the the way that Mark, you know, his body moves, and the way it looks as it's, as he's leaping, and just the way the angle of his body, it almost feels like his body is angled not to do the physical motion that he needs to do, but so he can just fit in the panel, you know. Oh. Okay, so he, uh, his head is here, his chest is here. Uh, he's close to the bottom of the panel, so I'm going to angle his legs this way. It just doesn't feel, I don't know, if, I guess natural is probably the right word. 
Now, I will give the benefit of the doubt. It is quite possible that that is intentional in that he is trying to make Mark's, you know, action movements look like action that would be taken by someone whose muscles have been developed from swimming in the water. Uh, But there's just, it, it just doesn't feel right. And I've seen this kind of thing in comics before. It doesn't feel like it's out of place in a comic. It just doesn't feel natural as I'm looking at him. Now, when he's swimming, uh, you know, when he's swimming, those those movements and the angles of his you know, limbs. Well, I'm looking at a panel right now as I'm flipping through and and it, it's not. <laughs> it feels this really awkward. Like I imagine you know, if, if my body, if I stretched my legs that way, I'd pull a hamstring. It, it just... It just feels a little bit off. Some of the faces feel a little too cartoony. Uh, the eyes of the people who have had their their uh, minds taken under control, the eyes are not just pupilless, which they are, but they're exactly, they're perfectly round. I mean, their eyes look like they, you know, when, when you're under mind control, you suddenly become a Richie Rich character. And so the, there's just things about this where I just don't feel like it's you know top of the game kind of comic it's it's middle of the road it's middle of the road it's serviceable does its job but then as i was thinking about things and i was thinking about oh it's based on a tv show based on a tv show that actually could have been easily could have been uh either a submariner or an aquaman tv show with with the the setup of this man who is found on a beach who doesn't know anything about his past is he from atlantis well that's what they assume uh, he has a uh, different uh, physiology. He has, you know, eyes that can see almost in the dark. He has to wear sunglasses when he goes up in the light. He has webbed feet or webbed fingers, and <clears throat> so as I'm I'm looking at this setup, and I'm thinking, you know, what if it was an Aquaman TV show? And and if I'm looking at this comic, and <laughs> if I just tweak my brain a little bit to the left. And imagine that this comic book is not a comic book, but it's actually a TV show. But it's not Man from Atlantis. It's 1978 Aquaman. If I imagine I'm watching Aquaman, the TV show, while I'm reading this this comic, I feel like I actually kind of like it more. I don't know. It's Maybe I'm, I don't know. It, it's just a, a mindset. It's It's a frame of mind. But... As I was reading this and thinking, oh, man, well, okay, whatever. If I was, uh, well, let me put it this way. I haven't seen Man from Atlantis. I haven't seen any of the episodes. Um, I want to, and maybe I eventually will, hopefully before I finish coverage of the comic. And I don't know how long the comic lasted, but I know it didn't last very long. The show did not last very long. It got four pilot movies or four you know, made-for-TV movies, and then it got ordered to series but it was only in production as a series for half a season. And that's why we've never seen it really. You know, when you only have 13 episodes, you don't get into syndication. You might get, you know, on sci-fi for a Saturday afternoon, you know, for a couple months, but you know, 10 years ago, but you're, you're not getting into syndication and it's not going to do something like where bionic man or incredible Hulk or I called it Bionic Man. I'm not going to edit that out. I'm just going to correct myself right now. The $6 million man and the Bionic Woman. All those shows, they had enough episodes to be put into syndication and kind of catch a 
a, you know, a second audience. Uh, even Battlestar Galactica, which only lasted for one season, but they paired it up with the two seasons of Buck Rogers, and so they made a syndication package out of that. This didn't get anything like that. And so it's it, it's unknown. It's an unknown. And I'm exploring this. I'm realizing I would like it to not be an unknown. I'm happy to read the comics, but the comics themselves, um, you know, I, if I was buying these off the newsstand just to read, I, I'm not sure how long I would stick with it. The cliffhanger? Yeah, we'll find out what happens next issue. Uh, but there's not a lot of tension. It's just more of a, oh, I wonder how, and not a, oh, what's going to happen next? Because you know something like this, and this is one problem with licensed sci-fi and fantasy, well, license anything, is if it's based on something that's ongoing, if it's based on something that is not created by the company, it's got to keep the status quo. And really the only thing you can change in a situation like that the only thing you can do to go beyond the status quo is to add characters who can have meaningful change. Uh, you know, John Carter issue, I think it was eight is an, is an example of that where they had a, a man and a woman who had a relationship and that relationship ended because she was killed by a plot that was put into motion by the bad guys. And that causes the man's story to progress. And now he has gone and he has killed someone, a woman, accidentally, but he did. And now he has to face the emotional fallout of that. And the only thing you can really do with, you know, an established character is the illusion of change. Because you don't know where the TV show is going to go. You don't know where the book series is going to go. Uh, you don't know where the stuntman is going to go. <laughs> Speaking of stuntman, uh, as I close out this segment, that's where we're going next. So uh, until next time, all I really have to say is thanks for listening and Godspeed, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Join us here on this feed in the next episode where we take a look at Human Fly issue number seven. Again, March 1978 cover date.